Constant Downpour Remastered is a retro sci-fi survival campaign from Mothership One E, now available for pre-orders on Backerkit. Every hardcover pre-order comes with three free zines featuring retro sci-fi blasters, grenades, and new stim packs to enhance the campaign in your Mothership games. Pre-order Constant Downpour Remastered now on Backerkit. Link in the show notes. Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I'm your host, Logar the Barbarian. And today, our returning guest, someone who I'm a big fan of, Matt Finch, the creator of Swords and Wizardry, Tome of Adventure Design from Mythmere Games. Welcome. How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. And I'm a big fan of Swords and Wizardry. I have uh, I have quite a few different uh, I guess printings or copies of it over the years, and we're gonna uh-huh. get the new one. And we've talked a little bit about what may come, but you know a little more now, correct? <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you know this is the first uh, real show that I've done since we launched the pre-launch page for the Kickstarter, um, which we've got a good response. Uh, for and I'll do you know other shows with other people and probably because you never know there's always something that's left out when you talk about a thing you know you end up going down one particular rabbit hole and everyone's like well wait what about this rabbit hole I want to go down this one so uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna do several shows but this is the first one out of the box so you know let's let's talk about it and cover you know all, all the questions that you've got well I've uh, let's let's start off there's two things that I think I'm I'm interested in knowing about the first being we just talked to you recently. The last time we spoke to you, there was a whole OGL thing was going on. There was talks about some changes going on. There's a lot been a lot of talks about licensing. Since I've spoken to you, I think actually the weekend after I spoke to you, right after I spoke to you, things changed drastically. Like they dropped an SRD into the Creative Commons, uh, they being Hasbro or Wizards. So my question is, what all has changed and what hasn't changed and what's the current situation? <laughs> okay. the I think the most important thing is that for, for right now, anybody who's publishing something under the OGL – um, the open, which is the open game license, which Wizards of the Coast has, has had out there, which gives people access to a lot of uh, prior editions. Anybody who's publishing under that can continue to do so. However, there are some reasons why we wanted to get out of the uh, open game license system and under the Creative Commons license system. And the main ones being there that um, they've now Wizards has now established the fact that in their view, even though they didn't do it, but in their view, the OGL is revocable, which means that in a couple of years, they can come back and try and revoke it again. Now, when they do that, something will be different than it was this time around. This time around, they've never said that. And in fact, they've said the contrary on their website. When they uh, added fifth edition to the OGL, they did it in the way that they had described that they would do it, you know, without revoking it. And so the there's a concept in law called uh, course of dealing, which has to do with the way that people have in the past interpreted a contract, right? Well, up until that point, all of the course of dealing stuff said it's not revocable and all of the people who were publishing could rely on that on on that fact. But now they're not going to be able to because if two years down the road Wizards tries to cancel it, they're going to be able to say, no, look, back in 2023, we explicitly said we can revoke this license. Um, and so that is something that, you know, I don't think they're going to do that anytime soon. 
I think what they're doing right now is they are trying to make sure that as few people as possible are using the OGL and that people are migrating over to the Creative Commons so that when they do revoke it down the road, there will be a lot fewer people up in arms about the fact that they're doing it. And then there's also something under federal copyright law. And here I'm talking based on only what I've heard. It's not something that I've read or studied or anything like that. But there's apparently an ability to um, revoke licenses that you've done on copyright after a certain number of, of years. And that's about that would happen about 15 years from now with the OGL. So that's way down the road. But when you're looking to create something that is going to be, uh, you know, a, a permanent game design, you know, even 15 years, that's a short period of time. So for those two reasons, we're going to move off of the OGL and rely on the Creative Commons license for uh, for the content that we use in Swords and Wizardry. And now there's going to be a different license from us to allow other people to use Swords and Wizardry. There'll be mention of the Creative Commons license, which people can either take or leave, depending on whether they think they're using something that Wizards put into our game via the Creative Commons license. And that, there's a little bit of complexity there. But we are not required to use the Creative Commons. We're not required to license out Swords and Wizardry into the Creative Commons. And we're not going to do that largely because the downside of the Creative Commons license is that it's pretty much all or nothing unless you do some extra work. You can create an SRD that's got your product identity stripped out of it and release that into the Creative Commons. But in general, you've got a lot less control. It's either all or nothing mm -hmm. with the, the Creative Commons. And so I think people are a lot more familiar and I'm certainly more comfortable with the kind of regime where you're able to divide up your product into this part of it you can use and this part of it you cannot use. And so we're assuming that the ORC license that's under construction will include that feature. And we've also got a backup. If it turns out that the ORC license in some way doesn't work well with Swords and Wizardry for whatever reason, then uh, you know we, we have got a draft of something that is a lot like the open game license, except it's fixed. So for example, it has the word irrevocable in mm -hmm. it. Some of the stuff is, is cleaned up. And so that may be something that we come out as an alternative to the ORC license if for if the ORC license like takes a long time or if they're, you know, because it's very easy when you've got a whole lot of people. This is a, you know, the ORC license, and I'm not saying anything bad about it here. This is just the, the fact of the way it's being done. You've got a lot of, a lot of cooks in the kitchen mm -hmm. working on that. And whenever you do that, that you can end up with variations and not be able to decide on which one of the variations you're going to choose. And that can slow things down considerably. So we want to get Swords and Wizardry out there. We want to get the um, the publisher base for Swords and Wizardry because a lot of people have published stuff for Swords and Wizardry in the past and want to come out with resources for it. And we don't want to have a really, really long hang time. But on the other hand, we don't want to have you know a license that was a shoot from the hip license either. So we're, we're kind of working on that. But that's, that's where we're going to is that we are leaving the OGL. Uh, we're going to rely on the Creative Commons license for Swords and Wizardry. And we are going to license it out um, both, both to publishers and with another step that allows a publisher to create open content for Swords and Wizardry that another publisher can use if they want to. So like, you know, your monster book, if you want your monster book to get picked up, you want people to include some of the monsters and adventures that they do. And so there's that kind of thing. So there, there's the pressy of, of where the licensing issues lie right now in a nutshell. So as I'm understanding it, there will be an open license attached, but the actual final open license is not 100% certain what you're going to be going with. 
at this time? Right. There absolutely there absolutely will be an open license that allows people to use swords and wizardry. It's just that we've got a couple of options out there, and one of them still under well, both of them are still under construction mm -hmm. because there's the one we're working on, and then there's the orc license out there. So it's you know we just don't know which one it will be or exactly what it will look like. There absolutely will be an open license for swords and wizardry. Now I'm going to throw a hypothetical or, or, or probably a curveball out there because I, I was reading online. I don't know how 100% true anything is or what's going where, but there's been, a, and this may be a bit of speculation on your part, but there's been some hints or talk that maybe Wizards is looking at putting older additions into the Creative Commons as well um, as part of their journey forward. If something like that goes forward, but considering your Swords and Wizardry is... Well, could you explain what Swords and Wizardry is? Because I would call it a retro clone of, of the original game. Yeah, I would too. I would call it a retro clone. I mean, it, and the part of the use of the word, re you know, retro clone, you know, none of them are absolute perfect reproductions of the rules that they're trying to clone because there are legal difficulties in there in between the um, non-copyrightable game mechanics and the copyrightable expression of game mechanics. And that's a, a gray area that there's not a lot of guidance for. So uh, I think every retro clone and certainly anyone that's of any size, you know, has some deviations from the original rules. And like in the case of Swords and Wizardry, the main one is probably the fact that it's got a single saving throw um, as opposed to saving throw categories. And then the categories are replicated in a, in a way because there are bonuses, mm -hmm. you know, for things that match onto the categories for a lot of the things, but it looks very different. Uh, first glance and then it's got you know the option to use ascending armor class versus descending um so there there every i think every retro clone has some variation um what could happen is that if uh wizards of the coast actually releases original dnd basic dnd advanced dnd first edition into into some sort of srd um then somebody will probably just duplicate that and publish it my guess is that wizards is going to do something that makes that a, a bit difficult in some way because they don't want to have a hundred ver you know a hundred games all, all of a sudden come out that all that are all basically you know bx uh, basically a, a word for word copy of bx dnd um so don't know what's going to happen there my feeling is that they're probably not going that far back. The real question that they had sort of centers around Paizo because Paizo basically retro-cloned third edition D&D. And they did that because there was a very, very robust system reference document for third edition D&D. So I think they're really talking about third edition D&D, possibly fourth edition D&D. My guess is that uh, the editions earlier than that Probably it would it would require some effort, I think, for wizards to duplicate one of those old versions. It would require some effort for them to do that. We don't even really know whether they've got electronic, uh, you know, text copies of those books or whether they're just using scanned pages or whether they have to scan pages cause, you know, maybe typos, someone looking through it for typos, possible intellectual property in there. So I, my, my sense is that when they're talking about older editions, they're talking about the ones that they do have electronic copies of that they have already vetted legally in terms of it being an SRD. And that would be third and fourth. So I think the most likely outcome there is that they're talking about third and fourth. If they go further back than that, that's actually a great thing um, for the OSR. It will cause a lot of chaos. I think Swords and Wizardry, if even if that happens, Swords and Wizardry is probably going to stay around simply because the original form of original D&D &D 
was multiple books. They never integrated the subject matter when they came out with a, uh, a supplement. Um, so Swords and Wizardry, even if it's not the exact wording of the original rules is probably is still going to be way easier to use. And so I think that Swords and Wizardry, at the very least, will keep on as a valid version uh, of original D&D. And then what that'll let me do at some point down the road is, is, is probably that would lead to another version of Swords and Wizardry at some point where I can go through and actually, you know, copy some of Gary's language, which it would be nice, even if it's just for compare and contrast purposes, yeah. um, you know, but that would be pretty good to bring Swords and Wizardry very, very close to the original rule set. But I think Swords and Wizardry would certainly survive and, and keep going, even if Wizards does release original D&D. But like I said, I, I think we're really talking about third and fourth. So let me ask this then with the new edition coming out of swords and wizardry i know that there was talks before about some things may had to have been changed because of everything in the product identity and some of the questions that were being brought up when some of the ogl was being brought up what's going to be changed and or different from the new swords and wizardry complete we're looking at getting versus the previous editions if much at all <laughs> Okay, so first of all, first of all, there aren't any changes based on the licensing atmosphere. But you know, there was we if we were going to leave the OGL at a time when we did not have the fifth edition SRD available for use under the Creative Commons license, then there would have had to have been a lot of changes um, in order to be safe. Um, and there were probably even would have had to be a lot of changes, even if you were taking a lot of legal risks. But that's gone now. That's that's past history. They didn't end up doing that so you know we're good now so the question now is basically as compared to the earlier edition what are the changes that were done um you know to improve the book first of all it's completely backward compatible so you know there's there's no pressure on anyone to you have to back this because otherwise you know your old version is out of date that's not the case the main things the main thing that will affect people in general is that the um so so odnd experts know that there are actually two experience points progression charts for monster experience, how much experience you get for killing monsters. The, the original version in the first three books was simply 100 points per hit die of the monster. Mm -hmm. And that didn't work at all. And everyone realized that right <laughs> out of the box. And so they went to a more exponential thing where you gain more experience per hit die as it goes up. And the version that we've had in Swords and Wizardry uh, since 2008 um, sort of flattens off. And I think it flattens off earlier than it should. And so we have made it flatten out much later on. So basically there are much higher experience point values for the harder monsters. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the, the biggest one. Um, we've also reorganized the treasure tables because there was a, uh, a method that we used in the other one where you rolled up the gold piece value. And then for a certain number of gold pieces, you would check for a trade-off to see whether there were gems, magic items, things like that. And that was confusing to some people. And so what we've done is we've just we've basically just shoved that into the tables themselves so that that is one of the results of the thing, which wasn't particularly hard. And but I do think that it will make it much more intuitive, you know, because whenever you've got a bunch of tables in a book, you really don't want to make the reader read the instructions because a whole bunch of people won't <laughs> They'll just start rolling on the tables. And so, you know, anything that requires an introduction, you should really see whether you can just fold it into the tables so that it works. And so we've done that. And then there are there's there's a, a fairly considerable amount 
amount of errata in there. A lot of that came from Will Mistretta. And, uh, you know, that ranges from things like, you know, this price on a piece of equipment is probably too low to, uh, you know, the monk really ought to only be able to use this ability once a week. There was that, you know, thing. And so lots and lots of stuff like that. You know, there, there's always been a problem with the monk because in, in, in Swords and Wizardry, we, we, I really tried to avoid having minimum ability scores to play a character class because a bunch of people will want to play it even if it sucks. However, in the case of the monk, the problem was it's a relatively super powered class. The idea really was you had to have a really good character to use this. And so what we did with the monk was we we broke it down to Okay, you could use this ability if you have if you met the dexterity minimum requirement or you can use this ability if you met the wisdom minimum requirement. And so you'll have monks that uh, and this is going to kind of suck for NPC monks, <laughs> but uh, I think the thing to do there is just to make your NPC monks have the, all the minimum requisites. But, you know, for a player character monk, uh, it'll be easier kept track of because players keep track of things more easily, more closely. Um, so there you will have monks of different levels of quality based on their ability scores. And that removes the a class that's simply too powerful for ordinary use. Well, with with the previous editions, I'm the, now Swords and Wizardry has a limited compared to like fifth edition and stuff like that a limited amount of character class options in the core book compared to some of the newer versions right there are, there are nine there are nine classes in swords and wizardry i believe one of them that i've heard before in the past that was not there there may have been some sort of legal issue or i maybe have read that wrong was would have been either the uh the sorcerer was it the sorcerer or the illusionist there was one that specifically was not yeah it's the it's the illusionist there never was a sorcerer in original D. there was an illusionist class that was published in the i think it was the strategic review the problem is that when you get to illusion magic in later editions leading up to third and fifth, which are the ones that we rely on via the SRD, the, the illusionist that was published in the strategic review looks nothing like what the later versions of that type of class looks like. And it was very, very, uh, it, it contained a lot of creative stuff in there. And there's no, there's no lock and key system to unlock that intellectual property you know of the of the creative expression that they gave to the illusionist so we've basically just stayed away uh you know from the illusionist class in the srd now that was never an official class in the first place um neither was the ranger actually um uh you know so it's in in a, in a sense it's not it's not carving anything out of the underlying rules of the game since it was never really an official part of the underlying rules of the game but that's the reason why we can't do the illusionist is that just the structure changed so much until uh, you know, at the point where it got into the usable intellectual intellectual property, um, that if we were to try and duplicate the original one, we'd either have to completely rewrite it, in which case it wouldn't really be an authentic duplicate of that, or we'd have to completely rewrite it using fifth edition or third edition type mechanics, which would also you know not be right. Now, a lot of folks have used swords in wizardry as a basis to put a lot of stuff out. So if you're worried about it, so someone's like, oh, there's only nine classes in there. There's, there's probably hundreds oh, yeah. of classes available from people who have created four swords and wizardry. If you look out there, I've got countless supplements and things out there because it has had been part of the, I guess, part of the gaming community for, oh, I, I, how long has been swords and wizardry been out there it's been out <laughs> yeah it's been out since 2008 so there's so that's 15 years yeah. and 
I'd like to talk to some of that. Like you, you, you put this game out there and a lot of people have taken it to either make their own approaches to it and add to it. You got science fiction, you've got war games, all building on swords and with swords and wizardry. I'm curious if you could give some, perhaps speak to some of that, give some insight. What's that like having so many people take what you have put out there and, and build on it? Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it. it's nice. I mean, you know, I'm, a lot of people don't like, you know, when somebody builds off something that they have done. But in the case of Swords and Wizardry, it's not like I wrote the underlying game design in the first place. It was Gary Gygax that wrote the underlying, you know, game design. I did a, uh, you know, what I think is a, well, what obviously is a, a good enough rewrite of it for people to pick up the rewrite and say, hey, this works great for me, you know, as, you know, as a, as a cold read. I don't need to be making apologies for the fact that, you know, oh, well, this is just somebody, you know, it's good enough, you know, for people to, uh, to like. So, but I don't take credit for the game design there. So anybody that wants to build off the stuff that I did to get, I mean, my goal was really to get it legally out into the world where people could publish, uh, you know, resources for original D&D legally. And that was at the time that we did it, that was a lot harder because the, Wizards of the Coast did not have a legal PDF of OD&D out there. Um, you know, they weren't selling any of the old stuff back in 2008. So that was a real mm -hmm. issue. And also with OD&D, of course, the books are incredibly expensive at this point. The, the old school community, you know, circa 2005 or thereabouts was really... Um, you know, drifting into a situation where they were being forced into piracy if anybody wanted to create a fan resource. And it was to try and break out of that to where, you know, if you wanted to write a thing, you could actually put it up for sale, which would allow you to pay for a good cartographer and a good artist rather than having to do absolutely all of it yourself because some talented writers can't draw at all or can't make maps at all. So it was just the, the issue is to get enough people able to work together that you could fund a cottage publisher kind of a thing or a DIY publisher who was doing work that you could be proud of because you had actually had the money from it to hire other people to fill out the gaps in your own skill set. That was the, the objective. And people put out some wonderful things for it. There's a lot. Oh, yeah. And, and, and there's, a, there's a ton. Of, so for Swords and Wizardry, I'd say just to begin with, there are many years of ex extra stuff out there, but I, I want to talk about another game that you that is not Swords and Wizardry, and I want to. I'd like to ask you a little bit about some of the similarities and differences because Old School Essentials has gotten popular, but that's not a clone of the same thing that we're cloning here, right? Uh, that you clone. So you're you're looking at OD and D, whereas they're looking at the BX Holmes boxes. Mm -hmm. When they're cloning this, could you speak to maybe some of the some of the difference that may arise there between those two editions and, and why you chose one versus the other and things like that? Well, I chose part part of that was done for me because we published Osric in 2005, or I guess it actually came out in 2006. And then in 2007, Dan Proctor came out with Labyrinth Lord, which was based on Moldvay Basic. So Moldvay Basic had already been done. At the point when Jerry Mapes, who was the founder of the Knights and Knaves Alehouse, who was a really wonderful guy, and he's he's passed away now, um, but he came to me and he he played 
original D&D and really wanted to see a retroclone for original D&D. And that was what got us really started on Swords and Wizardry. So uh, at the point that I started Swords and Wizardry, there already was a clone of Moldvay Basic. So it wasn't really mm -hmm. a, a choice of should I do this or should I do that. The main difference, I think, there are quite a few smaller differences. I, I would think that the main difference is that BX has the concept of race as class, uh, where, you know, mm -hmm. if you're an elf, they've already pre-calculated all of the multi-classing effects of moving upward and worked that into a level structure rather than the multi-classing structure that's set up in original D&D where, you know, you may be moving up a level in one thing, but not in the other thing. And you're getting a half a hit dice on average. And so it's more complicated in, in the OD&D world um, than it is in the BX world to have, you know, a, a, a character that's not human and that has at attributes from more than one character class that's probably the big one actually you know bx is closer in, in terms of using a resource you know using an adventure for swords and wizardry or an adventure for bx bx and ODD are actually closer than bx and advanced D, or original DD and advanced D because advanced D introduced an, un, an unarmored armor class of 10 whereas in both OD&D and BX, it's nine. One thing is that your armor classes are going to be are still going to be correct if you're using uh, if you're if you're crossing over OD&D and BX. And there's something else, and I'm not coming up with it at the thing, but that's 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 one of the main ones, just to give you an idea of the fact, you know, the usability. You know, in a lot of ways, you know, Swords and Wizardry can be viewed as an advanced version of BX, except that it happened in the wrong order. OD, OD and D actually came out first. BX came out later, but you can you can view BX as being a stripped down. It, it's actually in many ways more of a stripped down version of OD and D than it is a stripped down version of AD and D, and that's because Tom Moldvay was actually working mostly with OD and D rule books when he came out with his basic set for AD and D. Now I I've got another question that I'm I'm hoping that you have an answer for the future of Mythmere games and what we might be seeing for Swords and Wizardry is there going to be any kind of uh, extra adventures or monster books or what what can we expect to see coming out here and then after well with the Swords and Wizardry Kickstarter is coming out, but after, what are the plans? Where are we at? With the Swords and Wizardry Kickstarter, not a lot, because what we're focusing here, you know, partly because of the timing with the OGL stuff, actually, it's probably mostly that, that we were, we decided, look, we're just going to do the, the rule book, and it's going to be a simple Kickstarter, and we'll be able to fulfill it quickly. We'll be able to handle the licensing questions to get the publishers on board, what the future of the thing looks like. And so this Kickstarter is going to be a very, very simple, you know, it's just it's just a rule book. We're not going to pile on a bunch of extras. We're not going to try and make people choose from, you know, 20 different tiers of I want this, but not this, but I want this, but not this. Which one of these ones matches up with me? Oh, screw it. You know, I'm done. I'm just going to go off to a different page and play something different. I'm going to go play Tiddlywinks. So that, so this one is, is going to be a very, a very simple Kickstarter. And then there, there are two Kickstarters and we're not sure, you know, exactly what the order is, but we're working on two projects at the moment simultaneously. Uh, one of them is a computerized version of the Tome of Adventure design and, uh, you know, still working on what's the time horizon look like, how much work's got to be done on that. Um, and then the other one is going to be, here is a resources 
uh, Kickstarter for Swords and Wizardry where you can choose, you know, here's a monster book, you know, maybe here's a book of, uh, you know, alternate classes, you know, something like Unearthed Arcana type of thing. Oh, maybe a GM screen, you know, just the, the stuff, the usual stuff that, yeah. that people. The extras. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to do one that's just the rule book so that we can get that, you know, out the door to people, you know, very, you know, very, very quickly. We've only got one book to worry about the printing schedule, one book to worry about the shipping schedule. Don't have to have people in a warehouse grabbing, you know, multiple things. Things. People who are buying it don't have to have an, a, a wide array of choices. Um, and then we'll do the one that's okay. Now, here are the extras. Now, I, I'm excited. I, I, what's nice about Swords and Wizardry is that that's the whole book, that's the whole game. Everything I would normally get in, if I'd have to go to Wizards to get started and I bought the, the core books, I'd spend 150 bucks cover price on every single book Monsters Manual, Dungeons Master's Guide. And the player's handbook, but with Swords and Wizardry, is all presented there in the one book. It's all it's all there, and it's going to be relatively inexpensive. We're lo we're looking at a thirty five dollar book on this Kickstarter. Oh, nice! So you know, and that's that's cheap enough that people will probably you know will probably buy multiple copies you know for a game group <laughs> or whatever it might be. At least I hope so. You know, it's a, it's one hundred and forty four pages, which is almost exactly the same as some of the earlier versions of it, and it's all in there. The monsters, everything for thirty five bucks. And so let me ask this then: there is going to be an Errol Otis cover, but not just the Errol Otis cover. There's you got a few different things happening with this, right? Correct? Yeah, a couple of people looked at the uh, the graphic for the pre launch page and assumed that one of those was a special Kickstarter exclusive cover. And that's not actually the case. What it, what we're doing is this. The one that we're doing on the offset printing press with the, the high quality stit, you know, sewn binding in signatures, um, that is the blue and gold cover with the, the artwork by uh, Del Tigler and the cover designed by Susie Mosby. That That's going to be the offset print one. But we are also going to have a print-on-demand version you know number one it, it's the errol otis cover so a lot of people will probably go and get that just because it's the errol otis cover mm -hmm. but the uh the main target audience of the print on demand book is people who are in a country like australia new zealand brazil um, anywhere where the shipping costs from the u.s are just ridiculously high people who are in those countries usually a print on demand press prints in either in the country or near the country where they're going to be delivering it and so the the shipping cost is way way lower for something like that so uh, we're going to have that available as an option too so uh, that's exciting for a lot of folks because I've heard a lot of folks complaining or, or, or expressing frustrations that a lot of books they can't get where they're at. So I think that that's something that's, that that I think a lot of folks that listen may be excited to hear that. I'm, I think that's pretty good. And I, I know me, I've got, I, I can't even, I, I've lost track of how many editions. If there's a new cover or something different for Swords of Wizardry, I usually grab it. So I might end up with two new Swords of Wizardry books yeah. on my shelf after this. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, the and the, the other thing too that we're doing about shipping, since we're talking about shipping costs, is that the uh, on Tome of Adventure Design we worked with a fulfillment house in the UK, and they did a, a very good job. You know what we did was we just shipped them a pallet of books. You know on the water. You know is on a you know a, an actual ship going on on yeah. the surface, um, which makes it relatively cheap to get it over there and then they broke those down there and sent those out in the uk and in the eu and the result was I, i'm not sure if the savings are going to be comparable because that was a really big book whereas this one's a smaller one and that affects shipping costs a lot but on that one people in the uh, uk and the eu on average they were seeing a, a discount of about 50 percent 
of the shipping cost of what it would have cost if it had been mailed to them directly from a location in the USA to the country. So adding that middle step worked out pretty well for saving uh, saving money on shipping into that particular area of the world. And we're going to do that again, too. So people who are in the uh, in the UK uh, or the EU and also Norway and Switzerland, they'll be able to get the offset copy of the book without paying an arm and a leg in shipping. It'll still be you know more expensive than, than if it's in the U.S., but uh, they'll be able to get that for inexpensively too. Well, I, I I'm looking forward to it, and I, I will say, like I think it's been said many times, it is it, the Swords and Wizardry is up there on my top, like, like top favorite greatest games out there. I, I'm a fan. I'm excited for it. There's some more in the future. We're about out of time though. Could you tell the listeners where they can find you online, where they can check out Mythmir Games and specifically the new Swords and Wizardry and whatnot? Sure. Um, our website is uh, mythmirgames.com. Mythmir Games, all one word. That and that's you know probably the easiest you know thing to remember since this is a podcast and we can't throw up a great big old graphic of you know here's where it is <laughs> or uh, you know put it in the comments underneath a YouTube video. Um, and then on Kickstarter, um, the, uh, we're, I, I think we have a link, and if we don't, we will. Uh, you know, on our website page of where to get to the the Kickstarter launch page. We are trying to get people to go ahead and sign up on the pre-launch page where there's a button that says notify me when it was, this launches. It's very, very helpful to us and any other publisher. Um, if you do think that you might get something, to go ahead and click that button because it gives us an idea early on. And it's not super reliable, but it does give you an idea of how many copies you're going to be doing and that can affect decisions having to do with stretch goals or more importantly even the basic printing cost because you know if you are only going to sell 200 copies of a book it's going to cost you a lot more than if you are going to sell 2000 and you can at least get a leading indicator of that from the, from signing up with the notify me on launch so it would be very very helpful to us if people would go and click that button excellent and we'll we'll have a link to that in the show notes so if it's not live yet and, and you're listening to this today it comes out of the, the week or so before it launches check out the show notes we got a link to it i want to thank you very much for coming back on it's, it's been great getting a chance to talk to you again it's always great to talk shane really appreciate it if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today give us a positive review wherever you're listening you can find us on facebook search wildlies and wizards wildliesandwizards.com is our blog i'm on twitter and facebook at lower hill crom we're on patreon could use the support patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards, and as always, keep those dice rolling.